Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Today's podcast is a podcast I've been looking forward to ever since we put it in the diary some months ago. And we're going to be discussing UK equities and UK income um, portfolios. And to do that, we're kindly joined by Chris McVeigh, who is the lead fund manager at Octopus Investments. Chris, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. Much appreciated. So, as, a, as I said, we're going to be discussing your portfolio. But before we do that, Chris, would you be able to give us a bit of background to Octopus Investments, your team, and a little bit about yourself as well, please? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, for those that don't know Octopus itself, you, you probably have seen Octopus Energy um, billboards around um, increasingly uh, talked about given what's happening in the energy sector. Well, Octopus itself has got two distinct elements to it, one of which is the energy business and one of which is is Octopus Investments, the, the financial services business, which, which actually came first. Um, it was founded in 2000. Uh, it now manages about £11 billion in, in assets across a variety of sectors and, 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 and strategies and public-private markets, etc. Um, we as a team... Um, we are the, the quoted companies team at Octopus. Um, there is a, a, a there, there's nine investment professionals within that team. Um, we run a, a, about 2.9 billion pounds within uh, within quoted UK equities. Uh, the average tenure across the team is about 12 years, so it's a very established platform. Um, Richard Power, who, who runs the team and and is co-manager on this fund with me. Um, has been at Octopus for almost 17 years, I think. Um, I'm the new boy on the team. I've only been here for for six years. Um, so it's a very established, very stable platform, um, and and it's it's a, a relatively scale platform. And therefore, this fund benefits from um, from that, uh, that 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 knowledge, that that expertise. As I say, I came across um, to Octopus in 2016. Prior to that, I was at Citigroup. Uh, for for seven years, latterly as uh, one of the lead equity analysts on the UK small makeup product, and then prior to that, uh, for about seven years, I was at an investment house called Gartsmore, um, which is sadly no longer uh, in existence. Fantastic, thank you. So, Chris, now can we have a look at the at the fund and the portfolio from you know quite a top level? Um, so looking at you know the key characteristics and how has it performed since it it launched in two thousand and eighteen. The the, the catchly named FP Octopus UK Multicap Income Fund, uh, Jonathan, was launched in <laughs> in December eighteen. Um, it, uh, it it is the best performing fund in the IA UK equity income sector since launch uh, and and over two years. Um, it's it's a genuine multi-cap income fund. It's blending companies from across the entire UK equity market. Um, it's looking to to build a portfolio, an income portfolio, focused on faster growth, income generating businesses um, that, that are therefore capable of, of 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 growing earnings ahead of the market and therefore paying a progressive and growing dividend, which will also grow ahead of the market. Uh, we see it as as a true diversifier to some of the more 
traditional UK equity income funds. We can come on and talk about uh, why we decided to do that maybe later on. Um, but we're, we're utilizing the team's core satellite approach. Again, I'll give you some more color on, on that in a second. But it's that ability to take advantage of these compelling opportunities, uh, more focused on uh, the, the sort of small mid-cap space than, than perhaps many of the traditional income funds are uh, that enables us to, to hopefully benefit from that, that faster growth um, in both earnings and, and ultimately dividends. Indeed. I mean, the multi-cap element is, is something that's very interesting. As you said, we'll... we'll delve into that in more detail a little bit later on but why did you take this approach to UK equity income when you when you launched the fund as you said very different to some of the other funds out there yeah um, we we so the rationale behind the the fund launch in 18 was was as they looking at that, that large platform that we have within Octopus many of the assets that we manage on the team are are, are inheritance tax products that's what we're best known for tax efficient products um those clients obviously would we we think would have liked an income product so we thought we'd, we'd develop one um but we looked across the, the the uk equity income space at the time and there were three key issues that we identified um that um that, that meant we took a slightly different route um concentration cover uh, and growth are the three key challenges that the, i've touched on each of these separately um concentration many investors are are, are diversifying in inverted commas their equity income exposure by buying a number of 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 equity income funds um if you look down i think it's 80 plus 85 um equity income products out there the vast majority of them are doing very similar things in our view they're they're they're, they're concentrating their holdings around the very large traditional equity income names the, the you know we, we we all know the stories of, of of concentration within uk um uk dividends half the uk dividends originate from just 10 FTSE 100 companies your, your rios your your bhps your bps etc um so ultimately many of these clients who are holding a range of funds are actually ultimately holding many of the same stocks within those those portfolios so there's there's, there's massive cor- correlation there obviously within uh, many, many of the funds out there so concentration on 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 a relatively narrow number of stocks if you look at the, the correlation we did a bit of work on that as well and if you look at the top 10 positions within the the the, the i uk equity income space you can see glaxos in 60% of people's top 10s bps in 45 Astra's in 45, 45% of funds of Astra BP as a top 10 position. You know, there's, there's massive correlation there. Um, so that's one aspect. The other aspects were the, 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 the dividend cover and, and, and the lack of growth. Um, dividend cover, um, we had been seeing that decline over the last decade. Whilst you've been seeing good dividend growth in the, many of the UK dividend payers, you have been seeing dividend cover decline as many of these companies hadn't been able to keep pace with their dividend payouts. Um, from the underlying earnings growth within these businesses. You saw dividend cover get down to about one and a half times towards the back end of the last decade. Um, we think two times is a, a sustainable number. Um, and indeed, our portfolio pre-crisis was running at 2.4 times. Um, it's currently well in excess of that. We can talk about that again maybe in a second. Um, but the, 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 the large dividend-paying companies in the UK were, in our view, many of them are over distributing. So we we always knew there would have to be either a slowing of dividend growth or perhaps a reset. Um, and obviously the pandemic 
came along and was that reset. Um, what we see now is dividend cover within UK at about two times, which is good, but it's not at a level meaning that the companies can reinstate their dividends back up to the pre-crisis level. So the companies themselves, the large cap stocks that people hold, yes, they'll see dividend growth, but we won't see dividend recovery back to um, back to where we were before because they haven't got the, the, the dividend cover that's, that's comfortable from that perspective. The, the other aspect was, was growth. Um, we've done quite a lot of work on this. And if you look at the, the FTSE all share average um, looking through the crisis, um, this is four-year data to the end of 22. Um, you can see the average FTSE all share growth in earnings is expected to be um, low single digit percent on a CAGR basis. And, and indeed, with the dividend reset, the negative, I think this will be about 15% below pre crisis levels by 2022. You'll see a negative CAGR in, in, in dividend growth. Um, by taking a, a, a focus on progressive, faster growth, income generating businesses, our portfolio itself is, is, is generating is expected to generate on consensus numbers earnings growth of about 10% and dividend growth of about 10% through the same period. So it's by focusing on these faster growing businesses that you can uh, you can diversify your exposure and, and you can um, you, you can uh, uh, you can you can tilt your portfolio towards these progressive faster growing businesses and therefore clients should benefit from uh, from outperformance through the cycle. Thank you. So. That's a good outline of, of you know, the overall strategy and the, and the types of companies that you seek out. But when you're actually building the portfolio, Chris, what's your strategy there in terms of the construction of the portfolio? Jonathan, the portfolio utilises, it's a, it's a team approach uh, that we use across the other, the other usage funds that we run. Uh, it, it's, it's called a core satellite strategy. Um, it's entirely bottom up. Um, uh, what this means is the core of the portfolio is is made up of companies which we believe can grow earnings and can grow dividends ahead of the market and, and will ultimately be substantially larger enterprises over our core three to five year investment horizon. Um, the, the core of the portfolio is, is about 70% of the assets within the fund um, and it's made up of companies that, you know, benefit from characteristics such as robust finances, appropriate balance sheets, superior prospects for growth, good levels of earnings visibility and, and, and management teams that we believe can deliver um, on, on that strategy. Um, many of the names are names that we, we have across other mandates on the team. Um, we are big shareholders as a team in some of the names here, Watkin Jones, Emis, Renew, Strix. Um, but it's but it's finding you know these fantastic growth opportunities, which are paying a dividend as well. That's key. Every single stock in the portfolio has to be on a dividend journey. Um, some of them are smaller dividend pairs right now, and we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, but they all have to be on that journey. The core of the portfolio very much is high quality dividend paying growing companies. And um, the portfolio also operates with two groups of satellites. One group is 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 offering lower growth characteristics in the short term, but but superior sustainable dividends. Um, and, and, and the other group of satellites is, uh, is is likely to be paying a lower near-term dividend, but offers the portfolio really exceptional growth opportunities uh, with the scope to grow dividends over time. So and on the, the the dividend satellites names, such as Paypoint, um, the, 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 the uh, 
the yellow terminals and corner shops, for instance, that's a business which is it, it's obviously having to grapple with declines in, 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 in use of cash and you know some challenges over some of its 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 newer businesses with regards to COVID. So the parcel collection business obviously hasn't been quite as successful as they thought it would be because people are all, all at home working from home. So you need to use yeah. a corner shop to collect. Um, yeah. But that ultimately we think could be a, a good growth platform in due course. Right now it's paying the fund a, a better market dividend. Uh, at the other end we got lower dividend paying names such as Future which I'm sure many of your listeners will be familiar with. That's been a great capital performer for the portfolio. It's a relatively low dividend pair at this stage, but it's got great cash generative characteristics. It's using that using that cash generation to, to consolidate the industry. At some point, perhaps in future, the consolidation story may run its course and they may be, this may become a, a, a much larger dividend pair, at which point this could become a core holding. But right now, it's been a capital performer for the fund, a capital satellite, and that's what's been boosting the capital performance uh, for the overall. Uh, overall fund. So, Chris, I just want to pick up there on the the, the bottom up approach that you have to uh, the portfolio. I mean, when you're going out and looking for companies, do you have in mind a particular company that you want to be allocating to the core of the portfolio, or as a satellite, or throughout that process, do you then find well, this, actually, this company? would suit going into uh, a satellite and, and that's something that you uh, go about actually allocating throughout the process of looking at companies or, or do you go out and actually look for uh, particular companies to put in the different parts of the portfolio and, and through doing that are there any key sectors that you're finding are, are finding their way into the uh, portfolio? Very long question, Jonathan. Um, <laughs> the the team itself, we're, we're a big team. We do a lot of meetings. We we, we do on average about eight hundred a year, face to face management meetings. During the COVID year, we were over a thousand, not face to face, obviously in many cases, but uh, yeah. Zoom to Zoom. Yeah. Um, but we are a big team. We can we can therefore turn over a lot of stones that perhaps people have have ignored our stories that perhaps have changed uh, that you know other houses which are much more limited in, in in the size of the personnel who are focused on this end of the market perhaps can't do um so we we do a lot of meetings we have an extensive broker network obviously who, who suggests things to us we do screening we've got an internal screen um a quant screen called edge we also use other screens such as quest etc to to help identify opportunities that have the characteristics characteristics we're looking for a dividend a growing dividend earnings growth and attractive valuation good finances all these things and, and ultimately we'll go into a meeting and yes some some meetings will, will be more obviously candidates for a satellite uh, whether it's growth or income but uh, uh, but it's all it's ultimately understanding the opportunity that this business presents over that three to five year time horizon that we're focused on um, before we, we we decide to, to allocate it to well, first of all, I'll buy it at all for the fund and allocate it to one of those those, those three buckets, as it were. Um, as I say, it's, it's a bottom-up approach, so it isn't focused on any particular sectors. We don't uh, we don't um, have any strong desire to be overweight any particular sectors. The fund is very much sector agnostic. Uh, right now, the fund has relatively large weightings in in financials, media, uh, construction, support services. Um, as I said, we're looking to construct a core portfolio that we believe can grow earnings and dividends ahead of the market through the cycle. And right now, uh, we're finding the best opportunities within these sectors, hence our positioning. 
So that's, that's a good overview of the, of the fund there. Thank you very much, Chris. I mean, people will be you know looking at this and listening to this and, and looking at your fund and making comparisons to other UK equity income funds. I mean, what would you say makes you different from some of the other options out there? Yeah, we've, we've touched on some of the issues that some of the bigger or traditional income funds have suffered from. I mean, the case for UK equity income, it's, it's, it's well understood, offering scope, investor scope for sustainable and growing dividends with the potential for capital growth. However, as we touched on, there's enormous concentration in, in UK equity income funds, many holding the same big, relatively low growth FTSE 100 dividend pairs, your Rios, your Shells, your BP, etc. We take a completely different approach to portfolio construction. By, by taking this multi-cap approach, we can select stocks from across the entire listed UK equity market, but with a focus on those progressive, faster growth, small and mid-cap companies um, where we have, you know, where we have got experience in the area. As I say, as a team, we manage almost three billion within uh, these UK small and mid-cap equities. It's, it's, it's that focus, it's that different approach, it's that wider approach, it's that multi-cap approach, which, which sets us apart. There are very few multi-cap funds within the UK equity income space. Um, and uh, it's an approach I think others should be looking at as well. I don't think people should be so set upon just those, those, those large, as they relatively low growth dividend pairs, because ultimately, um, you know, longer term, uh, the, the, it's been proven that small and mid-cap companies grow more quickly than, than larger peers, and, and, and this fund will benefit Indeed. from that. So, I mean, let's just drill down that into that now. Chris, what does the split look like in your portfolio between large, medium and small-sized equities? How, how have you gone about allocating across those three categories in the portfolio? About 15% of the portfolio is in companies with a market cap in, in excess of, of, of $3 billion. Another 10% is in companies between $1 and $3 billion. So we're not averse to them. We do have some interesting larger opportunities. B&M, for example, being, being one of them, um, in, our, in one of our core holdings. It's where, but we, it's where we see interesting growth opportunities that we're, we're happy to buy them, or where we think it's an interesting angle, we're happy to buy them. Um, the vast majority of assets within the portfolio are within companies with a market cap of between 100 million and a billion. That's a sweet spot for this fund. That's where our expertise and our experience lies as a team. And it is a team process here. It's not just me on my own. It's very much mm -hmm. leveraging that larger platform. Um, and we have about 5% of the portfolio in companies below 100 mil million market cap. It's relatively small. I suggest that will probably decline further as a fund grows. If funds, uh, AUMs, roughly about 80 million right now. Uh, we'd hope we can scale that to be substantially larger over time. Uh, and that 5% will decline. But we still think we have got the opportunity and First, first of all, and secondly, the liquidity uh, that that uh, that is key within those companies between a hundred and a billion. And I say we run, you know, almost three billion within the space already. We 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 know how to manage liquidity. Um, it's something we've been doing for a long time. It's not a reaction to um, any issues that perhaps have plagued the space over the last couple of years. Um, it's something we do as a team, and we do well, I think. Um, and and it's understanding that, uh, which I think again is is, is an element that uh, that uh, again this, this big team, this big this this process uh, that uh, that we can leverage um, brings again to this fund. I mean, for me, that's particularly fascinating having a large proportion of your portfolio in that space between 100 million and a, and a billion, because of course, whilst they're paying dividends, 
there is a significant opportunity for growth, one yeah. would think, in, in, yeah. in those portfolios, which just isn't evident in, in some more, uh, you know, t- traditional funds that focus on the on the larger cap. So let, let's now, Chris, look at some of the, the top holdings, top 10 holdings in the funds. You did mention uh, a couple of companies previously, but let's look at some specific names now. Um, are there any there that you're particularly excited about at the moment? I mean, Jonathan, if you look across the, the top 10 positions, I'm excited by by all of them. I think I mean, the top 10 holdings within our portfolio, you, you'll see a, you'll see companies exposed to a diverse range of sectors. Um, and why they're right for this portfolio is because of the, the, the growth opportunity that, that they present. Um, a, a couple of the, the top holdings, a couple of the, the, the key contributors to performance over the last year includes um, uh, names such as Brickability, uh, Next15, perhaps names not too familiar to, to many of your listeners. Brickability is um, the, the UK's largest brick factor. Um, it controls uh, around 19% of UK brick supplies, you, but you'll probably have never heard of it. It sits between the importers and the manufacturers of bricks um, at one side, and then on the other side, it, you've got the merchants and the house builders. Um, and it's managing that inventory, which it's, it's been, been good at, and it, it can generate a, a, a teen margin from, from doing that, which is attractive um, from our perspective. It's also um, it's, it's expanding its product set into new parts of the market. It's recently done a, a significant deal as well, which again builds on it, on its presence within Briggs and and in other markets. Um, and if you look at the the underlying fundamentals of this business, we'd expect to see um, earnings CAGR of about 30% for the next couple of years, which is great, which is really exciting. And it's multiple still is, um, is, uh, is we think, uh, very prudent mid-teens. Um, so I don't think the market's fully buying into the opportunity set here. The yield's about 2%, um, but it is growing as well. It's finding those companies we, 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 in our, in our um in our marketing documents, we always put charts in of some of these stocks, and you can see the share price progression overlaid against the earnings progression. And it's ultimately we want to see that nice fit. These companies are not being driven by a re-rating, as I say. You know, brickability on 12, 13 times um, calendar year 22's PE is not expensive, um, so it clearly hasn't benefited from that. But it obviously has to some degree. But it's ultimately been driven by that that earnings growth coming through. So that's what gets us excited about that one. Um, Next 15, I've talked about that as well briefly. That's our largest position. It's been one, it's been one of the largest contributors to performance as well. Um, this is a marketing services business. Um, uh, I, I think the market was wrongly um, pigeonholing this as an advertising business, and it's not. It's much wider than that. It's a, it's a marketing services data business. It's got big relationships. Uh, sorry, relationships with big U.S. tech firms, your Facebooks, your Googles, etc. Um, and it's been seeing fantastic earnings growth again at a relatively good COVID. Um, it's got earnings category of mid-teens um, through the through the crisis. It's got multiple uh, from a, a, a calendar year 22 perspective of about 21, 22 times. So again, not expensive. And again, if you look at it from the, the share price against the, the earnings growth, again, it's been it, it, the, the progression in the share price of being underpinned by this this projected profit growth again that's that's something we i say we can't emphasize enough it's not a re-rating story this is a story driven by profitability and growth there yield relatively modest one percent right now but growing nicely um and and you know this the share price is up over 130 percent in the last year so it's obviously doing something right um so those are really nice quality stocks we're also buying some smaller ones companies which the market hasn't quite bought into yet and and, and you know 
we're trying to find companies at that inflection point. So names which could be at that inflection point for potential growth. You've got STV, the Scottish television business. Um, it's got a new waste management team who are developing um, or building on the, the the great advertising terrestrial business that it has in Scotland. The, the Scots, I can see this obviously being one of them, but we do like to watch television. The, the eyeballs up there are higher than they would be uh, for, for Core ITV. But the STV business isn't just resting on its laurels or, or from that perspective. It's developing a production business. It's developing a, a digital business. The market's not really, again, appreciating the opportunity set here. And I think we'll see the growth coming through the next two to three years. And that, again, is a, a single-digit multiple. So the market isn't buying into that opportunity yet but that, that, that therefore uh, that's what gets us excited finding these small companies before the rest of the market picks up on them um, and then finally DWF it's a business services business came to market in 2019 had a had a profit warning and an issue shortly after IPO uh, the share price derated uh, we got involved in it early on in, in 2021 um, it's uh, had a re-rating to some degree um, but again that the, what we're excited by here is the the, the management team's focus on turning this business around um, and driving the profitability, reducing um, the, the, the time for cash collections um, and, and, and taking out cost within the business. So the earnings growth there, looking at about 20% on a CAGR basis to 2023. You got PE multiple of about 10 times and you got yield in excess of 6%. It's finding again these opportunities. The rest of the business services sector is trading on high teams multiples. So this business should grow. It should um, continue to outperform and it should re-rate from here in the meantime it's paying the fund a nice dividend so these are sort of attractive examples we're finding uh, within this 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 small mid-cap space overlooked by more traditional income funds so chris i just want to look forward now to you know what you're going to be doing with the fund going forward but before we do that i think it, it would be good to have a look back since you launched um three years ago uh, as we said at the beginning, number one fund in the sector. Now, throughout that period, there has been significant volatility in the markets. Of course, we had the coronavirus pandemics, and there's obviously been jitters around um, interest rate uh, changes in the United States, and that's caused some volatilities over the last uh, three years, amongst other things. I mean, how have you gone about dealing with that volatility? in markets and you know if we start to see volatility creep back into markets going forward i mean is this something that you would be you know keep doing the same of or, or do you see uh, the macro picture changing that it may actually alter some of the bottom up selections that you're looking at yeah, Jonathan, with, looking back, I think it's key to answering the second point about where we go going forward. Um, looking back, extremely volatile, 18 months. With regard to performance and, and positioning over the pandemic and since, that the more things change, the more we stayed the same. We made very few asset allocation changes through the period. Um, as I say, we're focused on these growing businesses and we've been hugely reassured by how they've traded through the through this pandemic. They've dealt with, you mentioned economic growth might slow, it might slow. I think economic growth in UK next year is going to look quite attractive myself, but we'll see. Um, but these companies have, have dealt with something far worse than a bit of slowing economic growth or further challenges around Brexit or whatever might be thrown at them. They've dealt with the pandemic and they dealt with it pretty well. And the majority of them have come out in this in relatively good shape, in many cases stronger competitively than, than some of their peers because they've had 
access to capital markets should they, should they require it. And most of them haven't required it in our portfolio, but they've they've been able to come to market to raise capital to to perhaps to perhaps grow more quickly than they were planning on doing pre pre crisis. So that you know we haven't made any significant changes, although we did take advantage last time you know during the, during the crisis of of some extreme market moves to add to some positions we believed have been oversold. Um, I mean, early in the pandemic, we did reduce some of our exposure to stocks related to consumer lending. Uh, we had some concerns over how that would fare in the face of uh, a significant economic slowdown. And again, if, if, if you were to be right and we were to see that, that might be an area in the market we think about taking capital away from. Um, but we reallocated that capital towards areas of the market where we felt trading would prove resilient and, and where we had comfort that dividends would be paid. So we did invest in the supermarkets during the crisis, for example, um, which which has been helpful clearly um, given what we've seen since then. Um, in the earlier stages of the pandemic, we also saw some extreme price movements, which we took advantage of. Um, one of the funds growth satellites I touched on earlier was Future. Um, this is a business which benefits from e-commerce volume. So clearly lockdown was going to be good for it. Um, and had a series of upgrades to analyst consensus estimates uh, since uh, since COVID um, uh, middle of last year. Uh, just by way of contextualising, this this stock um, was fourteen pounds in February last year. It dropped to six pounds in March, and it's, it's currently trading in the thirties. Um, it, it's those type of wild swings where the fund is able to be relatively nimble and take advantage of some of the volatility to add to positions um, which have been hugely oversold. Uh, but you know, as I say, this isn't just a case of short-term trading. We're very much focused on on long-term growth. We're focused on businesses which we class as progressive, uh, and, and which we're fully expecting will grow through the cycle ahead of the market. That's exactly what we've seen, and that's exactly what we'd, we'd expect to see if there was to be any further economic challenges. We've been hugely reassured by the resilience uh, and the performance of the majority of the portfolio. I say, hence why we haven't felt the need to change much uh, over the last 18 months. Um, I, I say as we've emerged from the pandemic, we've seen our portfolio holdings recovering extremely strongly. There's been a raft of upgrades, which has been, again, hugely reassuring, and, and, and that's something which we hope uh, can continue for the medium term. Fantastic. Thank you. So, Chris, just to finish off here, what makes you tick? What makes you get up in the morning? Jonathan, apart from my, my three-year-old daughter and... My four-week-old son, who's not sleeping, um, they, they, they definitely will get me up in the morning. But in all seriousness, despite doing this for a relatively lengthy period of time, we, we as a team remain excited by the prospects of finding fantastic investments across UK small and mid-cap markets. Uh, the, the UK has a great entrepreneurial growth-focused culture. Uh, and we continue to see excellent investment opportunities come to market, both currently listed and, sorry, by the both current listed and coming to market, um, it's a prospect of investing in these opportunities uh, that continues to to drive us and excite us and ultimately gets us up in the morning and uh, and long may it continue. Fantastic, thank you very much. So that was Chris McVeigh, uh, the lead fund manager at Octopus Investments. Chris, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much, happy Jonathan. So just as a note to listeners, if you're a subscriber to the UK Investor Magazine email newsletter, there will be some further information coming out on Octopus Investments and the funds in the coming weeks. So do keep an eye on that. Thank you very much.
We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.